Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I'm not finished yet. It took me a long time to get here. Both parents have, have spoken with each other and... Uh, and they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other, and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. That these fellas will get such a f-ing shit shock next Saturday evening that we'll put them back in their f-ing houses for f-ing 10 years. All right, lads, so this is just completely freaky stuff, and I'm not a superstitious person at all. But holy shit, the four provincial winners that won um, this year are the same as the four provincial winners in 1920. Now, you have to put this into context. Tipperary weren't given much of a chance. We gave them a bit of a chance. Cavan were given no chance. Tipperary would never have beaten Kerry. Cork beat Kerry. Cork were given no chance against Kerry. What is going on, lads? I don't know if there's some sort of higher power directing these things. As my father's analysis often says, sometimes your name is just written on it. I don't know, Keen. I'm, I'm thinking of going back to Mass. <laughs> yeah, I suppose this one that I saw a good uh, tweet, I think it was from Kieran Lillis. He says, what were the lotto numbers in 1920? <laughs> um, it's, it's a bit like that. Um, it, uh, it, I suppose, look, it was extremely heartwarming to see the, I suppose, the events of, of Sunday in terms of the performances and the, the passion of um, both winning teams particularly. And I suppose to the victor go the spoils, I guess. But when you think of Cavan and Tipperary waiting so long, um and you know counties with hugely proud traditions in in Gaelic football. Really, if you go back a long, long way, um, yeah, it was just a, it was a, it was incredible stuff yesterday. The emotional scenes in the in the post match interviews were, you know, it, it it would put a smile on your face. And even seeing the celebrations from the players at the final whistle was just you know the, it was just pure joy, uh, you know, and raw emotion. And that's really the beauty of sport. And I suppose we. You know, when you compare that, not to get a huge comparison, but when you compare it to, I suppose, uh, the session that was Saturday evening sport, which uh, in the Meet Dublin game, which was truly depressing, 
you know, it really lifted the spirits, I think, for, for most observers um, to see the, the scenes, uh, you know, after the Cavan and Tipperary victories. Incredible stuff. Yeah, but Mead really had no chance on Saturday night. They didn't have any chance anyways. But I didn't even know about this, the four winners in 1920. The force was with Dublin. Mead had never a chance anyways. The force was with Cavan. The force <laughs> was with Tipperary. And the force was with Mayo this year. And that is that, that is it. Cavan were dead and buried against Monaghan at half time. Like Monaghan should have scored four or five goals in that first half. The force was with Cavan. How did we not see this sooner? Like, I mean, you have Ulster champions um, from or who are in Division 3 next year. You have Munster champions who are, who are in Division 3 this year and I see some people making an argument now Conan for oh the provincials are not dead like I mean Dublin dominate Leinster Kerry dominate Munster Donegal were going for three in a row they were dead I don't think it's it's a very good year to make that argument you know you're looking at winter football you're looking at no supporters you're looking at very unusual circumstances and obviously whatever is going on a hundred years later we that's <laughs> undescribable yeah like and um, like the provincials aren't dead, but I just I think like the biggest argument is is do they fit into an all Ireland series, which they probably don't. But like when you see stuff like that, it it is amazing. And I do think of you and your father throughout the weekend <laughs> every time this happened. And I can't believe that you haven't blown your own trumpet because you were the one person on Thursday who said, "Well, you back Tipperary to draw." You were you were giving them a very good chance, and I don't think uh, other people were sort of looking at them too much. So um, I'll blow it for you if you want. But like it's um. It's it's incredible, and I I'm going to have those screams of the of the Cavan players in my ears for a long time. Just to, they seemed so surprised, and they were just everybody was overjoyed and the shock, and like this went on for about five or six minutes, just to just joyous screams as if they were like teenagers it was brilliant yeah they were grabbing each other's faces like they couldn't even believe it like you had Mickey uh, Graham had to cut off his BBC interview because he was crying he couldn't hold it together like I mean you look at it like he talked about the people at home what it means to them it's a very difficult year they're waiting since 1997 we know they're fanatical fanatical county and like I mean I suppose like Tipperary we'll start with Cavan and we'll do Tipperary in part two the outpouring of emotion from the Cavan players was was definitely noticeable, Keen. And I think it's like, you know, a lot of underage success in, in provincial uh, terms, four in a row, and then didn't translate to senior and been knocked and have had hard times. Like just seeing the players, it was very, very noticeable how they just, you know, the, the, the raw emotion and the way they were hugging each other. Like it was like it was incredible to see. Uh, it really was. And I suppose, yeah, you touched on it there. These guys have, or certainly a large number of them have, experienced success and have been on you know winning teams and you know Thomas Galligan was on a McCrory Cup winning team in Cavan and stuff like that so like these guys are you know have experienced success they know how to win and and then I suppose it's they've they've had an awful lot of disruption with their with their own senior set then in terms of just availability of players from year to year you know and they do have a fairly significant talent pool and that's been proven and um, by their performance level in the championship you know let's not forget they were up you know, in Division One, and you know they've been competing, and they've just had a, I suppose, back-to-back relegations was was quite surprising to everybody, and things looked pretty okay for them at the start of the league. I think they won their first games, and they were looking in, in the reason, probably in reasonable position, and they, just for whatever reason, they they lost their way a bit. Um, but then you look at their camp form, and you know that was a huge victory after extra time against Monaghan coming from behind. You know, had a tricky tricky game against Antrim where Antrim set up quite defensively. They managed to pass that hurdle. And then they're down at half time so badly against down, down after playing some fantastic football. And you think there's no way back for them. And they just find this find it within themselves within like the spirit of that group is incredible. Yeah. And then 
you know, they delivered their best performance in the final against Donegal and they were absolutely worthy winners, you know, of the, of the final, deserving winners in the game. And, you know, fair play to them because, you know, they, they have taken and, uh, you know, I suppose they did mention it in their interviews after the game that, you know, everybody's writing them off and they were written off you know, pretty much in, in most of their games. Like, so, you know, people probably half expected down to beat them. Certainly Monaghan were expected to beat them. And there's no doubt about it. I mean, Donegal were unbackable favourites yesterday. So, yeah. I mean, it take, takes a lot of sort of, um, I suppose, courage and will to, to deal with all the setbacks over the years and just continue on and do it. But I suppose they have had the carrot of the talent at their disposal. So I suppose it's not, let's face it, it's not like, they, you know, they've come from absolutely nowhere. There is a pool of talent there. They have been playing at the top table in terms of league football sporadically so um, I suppose maybe upon reflection you look back and you say well maybe it wasn't that big of a surprise that they were capable of competing in the Ulster Championship but I think it's just the manner in which they play the game I think is also something that captured people's imagination and affection they've had their games all been kind of televised as well in this short window people have got to know their players and the styles of players and got to kind of fall in love with the you know the sort of characteristics of how they play the game in terms of long deliveries and kicking their kick outs long and just that sort of compete that heart and competitive spirit and I suppose going for things as well not you know playing this sort of boring hand passing recycled game which they did at the start and now they've seen the rewards of being more expansive and being braver and um, I suppose that's something that should be admired. Yeah, I suppose we'll, we'll get to some of that now in a few minutes when when we um, when we get in to analyse the game because there's a huge contrast in how Cavan and Donegal go about breaking down the defensive system in comparison to Cork, who are just absolutely clueless, which we'll talk about um, in the second half. But yeah, you mentioned like Cavan were relegated; they're playing against Monaghan the, the week later. Like they should have been beaten at half time, four or five goals. They played, um, you know, offensively against a strong wind, and then they played defensively with a strong wind, and somehow came back in that game. Then they were completely flat against Antrim in a terribly boring game. They were dead and buried against Down and came back out of, out, out of nowhere. And like, I mean, just to sum up what a bonkers um, team Cavan have been this year, they're almost impossible to analyse, probably easier to analyse yesterday than, than the other games. Connor Madden, Connor, Connor, who scored the goal, he scored 1-2, he scored the goal to put it to bed. He came on, was brought off, that was a blood sub. He came on again, was brought <laughs> off. That was a blood sub. He came on again, went off for a black card and came on again and scored the winning goal. He came onto the field four times in the match. Can you imagine the face on the other subs there? That's <laughs> like every time, three times in a row in the first half, Mickey turns around and says, Connor, warm up, you're coming on. And it's like, well, I guess it's going to be Connor Madden coming on first in the second half. <laughs> like, um, But it was, and he came on and he scored an amazing point straight away, his first introduction. And like, but... In a way, he sort of summed up, like he summed up Cavan as well. Like the Mickey Graham has sort of adapted and evolved throughout this championship. I think he mentioned them being dead and buried against Monaghan and Down. They were behind for 48 minutes against Donegal as well. They just, they, they were completely calm in today's game. And with or without Madden this time, because it seemed like they were relying on Madden against Down to come on and then they would start playing more offensively. This time they were hitting ball into Martin Riley and saying, you go and battle for it, like they were hitting into Thomas Galligan, battle for it, and and then when Madden came on, then like yeah, he was offering just a bit more again, but 
it was clearly obvious that he was always going to be called upon at some stage, but he was probably delighted the amount of, amount of game time he ended up getting. Yeah, he got nicely. It beats coming on for two or three minutes as a blood something running up and down the sideline in front of the in front of the stand, although there was no one in the stand, so it's probably not as embarrassing. But like, I mean, I don't know, um, Keen. sometimes the underdogs have to beat the 15 in front of them and the referee, because referees generally lean towards the favourites. It's like, what's happening here? You know, they think the safer bet is to go with the favourites. The two black cards, I thought, were very, very harsh. Killian Brady's was an accidental trip. Uh, Ryan McHugh got him the black card by slapping the ground, you know, petulantly. In Ryan's defence, he wouldn't have known whether it was, you know, accidental or whether it was on purpose. And, you know, he was fairly pissed off. There wasn't a huge counterattack on there where that foul, um, you know, where that foul um, was committed. You know, the Conor Madden is a, a yellow card. It was just a reckless, stupid hit. It wasn't cynical. You know, the Donegal player wasn't going for a one-two or anything like that. I thought that was a yellow. On 50 minutes, um, there was some great high-intensity tackling by Cavan, a very soft free from McGonagall over on the sideline who has been tackled by uh, McKiernan and Brady. And that kind of at a stage of the game where you're like, Jesus, Cavan needed that turnover. And then he gave an even softer free for Neil McGee when the when that free kick was taken in the first half, Martin O'Reilly was fouled. He was fouled so badly he actually stopped. He went, "That's so obvious." Yeah, that then, was then, the worst of them. Maybe. Yeah. Then he got caught for overcarrying, and not only that, the free was brought up. <laughs> like I mean, and and the referee got an offensive mark by Gerald McKiernan completely arseways. That was that was a, a a perfect mark. You know, there was a lot of decisions I thought went against Kevin. And again, like you say, Keen, a lot of things going against them behind for a lot of the game. Never gave up. Never, you know, complained. Kept playing the way they were playing and like I mean Jesus you couldn't speak higher of this of this Cavan team like I mean you'd just be blown away by them Ah you would yeah and I suppose look like we said if you analyse their their record I suppose over the over the Ulster Championship you could point to a lot of things that they didn't do well and you know question the approach of Mickey Graham at times and you know he got some things wrong he got some things brilliantly right and same with the players on the field they did some fantastic things and then they did some mad you know, mad things as well. So I suppose they're they're flawed. And I suppose that's that's <laughs> that's the beauty of it. I mean, like we don't want really perfection. You know, you know, as a spectator, you want to see mistakes, you want to see the sort of flawed approach, you know, this thing of a team having victory in front of them and then they make some crazy mistake like Martin Riley does when he just has to hand pass the ball across the square for a tap in into the net. You're thinking, Jesus Christ, are they gonna lose this? Like there's Martin Riley, he's I think he's 34. He's been a brilliant player for Cavan for years. Is he now going to be the villain of this piece having, you know, come so close to win an Ulster? Will Will Donegal go down and snatch it? And I suppose there's all of these little subplots throughout the thing. You know, you have Thomas Galligan there getting decapitated and, you know, thinking he's going to go off. Will he, is he is he dead? Is he going to come back on at all? And, you know, then he's, he's the hero with an incredible catch which gets brought forward and then they, you know, they get the goal from that, from that play. So, that sort of amazing things happen. And, you know, the refereeing decision, you know, if you look at them objectively, they were absolutely really, really, really bad decisions against Cavan. And if Cavan had lost that game, they would have had every right to feel really, really aggrieved because when it was 15 versus 15, they were by a mile the dominant team in the first half, really, for large periods. When they got that black card went against them, it meant they couldn't press up as, as much as they would have liked on the Donegal kick-out. And Donegal then got to play their way into the game, get a bit of confidence and get a bit of rhythm. And then near the end, I suppose maybe they'd learned they'd learned the, the error of their ways from the first half because, you know, when they went down to 14 men in the latter stages of the game, they, they seemed to almost thrive on it. It was as if the harder the battle became, the better the Cavan players played. And I suppose that's really what any spectator of a team looks for, is that when the chips are down, 
that guys stand up and that they, you know, that there's a ferocity of effort to make up for, you know, players being unavailable or a lad going off or things going against you that lads knuckle down and really fight and fight and fight. And that's what Cavan did. And that's why they're so, I suppose that's why it's admirable because there's, you know, they're not the sort of the polished article. They don't have, you know, incredible players all over the field, but by God, they have serious heart. And you can, their heart, the heart is visible when you watch them playing, which I think is sort of uh, the most admirable thing that they're producing. Yeah, no, definitely. And like, I mean, like you've mentioned, uh, Conan, the variety of their play, you know, like, I mean, they had no problem slowing it down at times as they pushed. Like, I mean, it was mentioned in the commentary a couple of times how every Cavan player is in the Donegal half of the field, you know, so there's no problem doing what Donegal do. Slow it down. You know, this, you know, long ball isn't on. Let's move players up on the zonal players and let's move it through the hands. Other times they go a long kick out, you know, and then they'd know, right, there could be a ball on here now for Galligan in, inside. Like he got a he got a great point out of a ball by Jared Smith. Jared, it wasn't a great ball. He just, you know, he won a ball. He had no right to win. Then straight after that, then Connor Madden tries to give in a big long one to him. They hit, he, they hit Thomas Galligan with a couple of kickouts who came out to the number 11 position. Yeah. You know, like they kept Donegal guessing all the time. And then, of course, for the, the, the McKiernan pass for the goal. Like, I mean, we've mentioned on the show before, if, if Sean Patton has a weakness, it's in the air. Drop one onto the square. I thought they could have done it even more, that type of McKiernan ball, because, you know, once it goes over McFadden, now Patton has to deal with something and Gallagher's mm. going to be in challenging for it. And I'm, this is uh, this is the advice I give loads of different teams, like Mead against Dublin, Kildare against Dublin, Leash against Dublin, against a favourite, you know, get a ball in there, stick one into the mix and you could get a, go- a you know, a, a goal off a, fl- a flick a flick on or anything like that. Like, Cavan deserve a lot of credit for the variety of their kickouts, their attacking play, and the way they use Galligan. They definitely do. And I think a lot of that came just from confidence. I think, especially during the first half, as Keane mentioned, but, but I think after, you know, once you get a feel for a game, I think the Calvin boys were probably confident that they were on top. Like, especially in the second half, this this was the most annoying thing about the Connor Madden black card because even, I think they were 10-8 down, but they had just shut Donegal down entirely. Like, you know, their, their matchups were perfect, and we'll probably get into that. But they just, they, they quietened them. Donegal weren't doing anything. I think they offered two free kicks for the first 30 minutes of that second half. And I think Cavan just had such confidence from that. And yeah, we talk about the, the balls into midfield, the long balls in. And then when they slowed it down, they also they had no problem running at some of the Donegal backs and just seeing, like, you know, who's, who's up for it? Who's got a soft shoulder? Let's. Let's get at them and see. And like they're all strong, they were confident in their their own core strength. They've come back out if they got into too much trouble. Like Keane said, they were very worthy winners. Like they definitely were. And the thing for Donegal is that anybody watching us, like and you did talk about putting balls in and testing out the keeper in the fullback line. Like that was such a bad bad error from Sean Patton like he got his two hands on it he wasn't under pressure there were no other people around him but there was nobody jumping into him he should have caught it Conan he did the old soccer punch and he 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 didn't catch it as flush as he wanted and he ended up just setting it up for Madden like I mean you catch those balls don't you catch them you catch any ball that you get two hands to I think you know especially when you're under no pressure so I think anybody looking at that We'll be thinking against Donegal next year. Like, yeah, let's let's put a few balls in and see what he's made of. Yeah, no, that that was it. Martin Riley, you mentioned his goal chance, uh, Keane. He really came into it when Owen McHugh went off, and this was a bizarre one. Owen McHugh actually played cornerback. I couldn't believe it, and he did well on Martin Riley. And Martin Riley then started to come into it. And you're right. Like, I mean, if you ever were to say fisted over the bar, I know you say fisted across, and that's fair enough. There was a Cavan man in there, but that was. 
to put Cavan two points up in 68 minutes. You know, there was no way back because Donegal had been already dragged into a fight that they just didn't have any fight for. You had Michael Langan with two very uncharacteristic wides. You had Obwell who came on with a wide. Brennan missed a goal chance, even though it wasn't a great goal chance because James Smith probably had a better goal chance. Like, I mean, you know, at that, at that stage, you have a Donegal team who were just completely out of sorts and you had a Cavan team that could smell that they were out of sorts. And I don't want to say that they were out of sorts. They weren't allowed play. Yeah, look, they weren't allowed play, but I, I need to go back to that point because there's no way Woolly Wee can advocate for this all <laughs> over the bar after, after for all, it's against everything we stand for here. So I think I think we could run through the wide range of options he could have done. He could have just rolled the ball along the ground. He could have played it through the goalkeeper's legs. He could have done a solo dummy. And a dummy solo, and yeah. Uh, or he could have done the very obvious thing, which was hand pass it to the unmarked Cavan man at the back post with an empty net in front of him. But nonetheless, uh, they're all the available options before fisting it over the bar. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the thing about it is, Cavan did create those opportunities. Like um, the other opportunity, which in fairness to Michael Murphy, he made a, an incredible effort to get back to put James Smith under pressure for that goal chance. He just threw his body on the line to, to just get any contact on Smith when he got in. But again, it was that was from a nice little piece of having play and a, a lovely little uh, foot pass into him to get him free. But like that was a guilt-edged opportunity and it was thinking, you know, are Cavan going to... It was just going to cost Cavan the game. So um, I suppose, look, on the balance of play, they were, they were the better team overall because they created sort of better chances. And at the start of the game, they were they were really composed. They held on to the ball. They grew into the game then, as Conan was saying. They grew in confidence. And then when the game was in the melting pot later, they had had enough of a foothold. They'd stayed in the game long enough through their efforts that they then started, things started to kind of flow for them and they kicked a few magnificent scores. But early in the game, they did kick a couple of bad wides when they were under, you know, where they which they could have capitalised on a little better. But James Smith pointed to the right wing near the end of the game was superb when the game was really there, as you as Conan said, put the ball under his arm, took on the Donegal defender, took the responsibility because he picked it up out on the sideline on the right wing. Yeah. You know, he had to travel 35 metres with it before kicking it. And then Ushin Kiernan kicked a, a phenomenal score off his left foot as well from the left wing. So, like, and they did speak about it afterwards in the interviews about how, you know, it was going to be, the, it, it was potential that it was going to be the last game of the year so that they were going to have a bloody go at it. So, I suppose that They've grown, they've grown significantly as a team over the course of the Ulster Championship and they started the game really well and they grew into the game then as well because they knew they could compete. They gave themselves every chance to compete. But just, you know, being really, really good on the ball, being generally quite efficient when they got forward. I think they had, I think they maybe got uh, 32 shots off from 34 attacks. You know, so that's very, very efficient attack and play, particularly when you consider that Donegal probably pride themselves on being this team that sort of can absorb a bit of pressure and can, can get back and flood their defence and maybe break out. But Cavan didn't really give them that opportunity. They used the space well. They, they had decent width in their play when the game did, you know, when Donegal did have bodies back. And then when they did have the opportunity, when there was space there, they kicked and they kicked down and they kicked out to the wings and they went direct at the goals. And, you know, they, as, you, as you've said on a few occasions, Woody, they had a, a lovely variety to how they played the game. Um, and it kept Donegal thinking, even in terms of the positional switches, Gallagher into full forward, then Gallagher out, and Martin Riley in to present a different type of threat. Um, so look, it was it was really good from the. But Donegal, I suppose, will be very frustrated themselves with with their own performance levels. I mean, they they, they 
took the ball, you know, we, we give Cavan huge credit for how they stripped Donegal and their, their effort and endeavour in terms of chasing and trying to win the ball back. But Donegal will be very disappointed with some of the sort. I suppose the decision making they made in possession where they, they took the ball into into the contact position um, when they didn't really need to. And I suppose they'll rue the loss of Kieran Thompson from the starting team. And I think Oshin Gallen as well not being available um, on the matchday squad was a significant loss because, you know, they were struggling up front. Jamie Brennan didn't really have much of an impact on the game. Paddy McBrearty started brightly enough, but faded out of the game. Well, yeah. weren't getting much supply, but Gallen has made a big impact in, in all their championship games, really, when the game has been tight. Um, certainly against Tyrone, he, had, he made an impact on the game. So I suppose they look at that and say, you know, if they had had one or two more players, would that have made the difference to them? Yeah, maybe they'd be thinking, like, I mean, Declan Bonner said after the game, he said over the whole 70 minutes, Cavan looked a hungrier side. We had a purple patch when we kicked five on the trot when Cavan had a man black carded. We didn't kick on. Cavan stayed in the game and we knew they would. Like, I mean, when you look at that, like they scored five points in a row um, after the first Brady black card. So in the other 65 minutes of the game, Conan, they scored uh, seven points. Like, I mean, not good enough at all. I don't know, like the Kieran Thompson, he was fit enough to come on, are they looking at Dublin the following week? This is a, or would that be two or two week, two weeks after? Like this is an unusual championship. Usually, you would have more time. Like I mean, w- w- do you think they took their, their eye off the ball, Conan? Oh, I, I can't see it. I, I don't think Declan Bonner would would let that happen. And I think, I think the Ulster Championship means too much to Donegal. Have they ever won three in a row? Like Jim McGuinness didn't. Like that would have been huge for them as well. Two weeks ago to Dublin, I don't think they took the the right off the ball. The Kieran Thompson thing was just very strange, especially when he comes on and he's as lively and as dangerous as, as you know he is. Yeah, I don't know did they did they overthink it or like you know in comparison, Kevin just unleashed James Smith, who was on to have an unbelievable game. Um, yeah, like I, I don't know what it was with Donegal, but like sometimes I can feel sympathy for a manager because he can only do so much. He puts him out onto the pitch and he gets him into positions basically based on whatever way they've trained. He needs to be able to create opportunities for them to go and score. And they still sort of did that, but like just so many times, basically at the start of that second half, like Michael Murphy was free inside and Owen Bon Gallagher just lobbed one up and Raymond Galligan just caught it and Murphy was cracking up because he was out in front and just just simple bits of composure like that like we, you mentioned Langan shots there was a couple of shots that, that weren't on and they were just rushing they, they got turned over more than I've ever seen and to be honest I haven't seen Ryan McHugh have as quiet a game in a few years uh, yeah. as he did against Cavan and obviously Jason McLaughlin is a big part to play in that he, he was marking him but McHugh was just on the periphery of the match and when Things are going bad for Donegal. Like he, he's the man who comes onto the ball and calms everybody down. And they just seem scrambled for most of the match. And I don't know what what Bonner does. You know, once that's set in. Yeah, well, that's it. Like, I mean, performance of the weekend. Like, you could do a full show on this on this game, but obviously, we have um, a huge match in in uh, Munster to cover as well. That's we'll, we'll performance of the weekend. Maybe McGonagall, you could mention from Donegal, but all the performances were on the Cavan side. Like, I mean, Mickey Graham has to be the first name on it. Like, I mean, what he's done here is just it's just beyond belief. What he did with Mullen Octa, um, their first ever Leinster title against Kilmacud Croaks, and we spoke about that um, at length. Um, that that was as big a shock as you will ever see in in club football. Again, 
uh, it was a it was a wet winter's day in December when they did it. Like I think maybe is Mickey Graham a winter manager? We'll have to we'll have to make a <laughs> we'll have to make our. Um, he didn't do too well last year when the sun was shining in Clonmel. <laughs> I don't know what to make of Mickey Graham, Keita. Just don't. I love him. I really do like him. He's my generation. I liked him as a player. I just like this is just madness what this fellow does as a manager. Yeah, well, uh, the one thing about him is he does bring great variety to his approach to games. I mean, yeah. they, there's a, a significant contrast and they come up with a game plan for, for each different opponent or even for segments of the game, which is also very interesting, really, considering it's a very flexible tactical approach. And what it does, um, I suppose, display is that his players have really bought into it with him. So, like, he, you can see that he comes across as a really likeable kind of a fella. He's obviously very passionate about having football and about you know the group of players that he has and I think when when players have that they can they, they can really buy into the charisma and and I suppose the character of a manager and then when he's bringing sort of interesting tactical things to it and challenging them in different ways and then when the plans are working I mean you have you have the you have the perfect storm there because you know it's it's, it's about having the variety to challenge different teams like we speak a lot about having these formulaic things and it's you know managers throwing out the same thing every time no matter what team they're managing no matter who their opponents are and a very you know a very rigid approach but the the, the tactical sort of flexibility of having management team and also then of the Cavan players within that system you know it is quite interesting and it makes them a difficult a very difficult opponent because on any given day, they can challenge you in different ways. But they also have outstanding footballers. I mean, and they have big physical men with good, with good skill level and with you know with a level of athleticism and and, and character and determination. Which you know it's 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 been it's been a massively successful, I suppose, combination for them. And look, nobody would have seen it eight weeks ago when they were getting relegated. Um, that this was what was going to happen. But something something has grown organically there. And I suppose. You know, in the year that's been in it, we've been very lucky to witness that over the course of four or five or six weeks because we've, I suppose, had the had the chance to see even the Cavan County final being played in what was a great game of football that went, you know, the, the drawn game. And then we've had the opportunity to see all these Cavan players at county level then week on week develop in the Ulster Championship. So I suppose, yeah, look, as I said earlier on, he doesn't get everything right, but nobody ever does. But at least he's willing to have a go. And you can, at times... Even it's you know that's why sometimes it's difficult to analyze them over the course of the seventy minutes because they do seem to change so much. But I suppose that chameleon like um, approach has has served them very very well. No, it definitely ha- definitely has. James Smith deserves a mention um, here as well. He was a late call up, and you know he was impressive in the club championship. Jeez, he goes into some great positions. Like I mean, he scored two points, but he missed he missed one too. Um, he connected fairly well with the goal. He went for the corner. Like Michael Murphy did get back on him, but he got a good strike on it. Um, and I'd say he was going for that corner. Like he goes into positions. He's a very very good player, um, Conan. You know, and like whether it's uh, probably played in midfield yesterday, hard to tell exactly. Could have been centre forward, but in or in around that area, his ability to get forward. Yeah, and I suppose we saw that, yeah, for Crosserlock when he remember he kicked that equalizer in the first day out where he just burst yeah. through, like Kings courted everybody back, and James Smith just took control, broke through bodies and kicked a monster score. And he, he just took control the next day out and, and he won a for them. And actually the their manager at the time, David Lennon, had a good quote. He said, if he's not in the cabin team, there's a lot of good footballers in Cabin that I don't know about. And like I think he just he went out and, and showed that then he showed that he's just a, a quality footballer and they've probably been, been well aware of this in training and yeah it was it was the right call to to release him and like 
you're right. It just it gave them a different, and again, another different dynamic. Like just that ability to break forward. You're talking. I don't know. Was he midfielder, half forward? Yeah, I think he was pretty much both. Like just, just, just another sort of problem for Donegal that, that they couldn't get a handle on. Michael Murphy did well, obviously, to stop that goal chance. But James Smith was just rampant throughout the whole match, and for somebody sprang in for his for his first game, it was it was incredible to watch. Yeah, another Smith, Jared Smith, uh, Keane, I thought was outstanding throughout. Consistently in the thick of the action, not afraid to take on responsibility, you know, and go at a player, try and go past him, scored a good point. Um, I thought throughout the whole game, he was very impressive. Yeah, he's a he's a lovely style about him. A very skillful player as well in terms of ball retention. The the, the point that he got um, in the first half was really good. And the thing that was, I suppose, very interesting when you look back at the replay is he has um, he has Paul Brennan on his right shoulder and he takes a hop, he hops the ball with his left hand. Then he turns around and solos it right hand to right foot. Then he you know hops it right hand to right foot and then he solos it with his left foot. So he's he's always keeping the ball you know on the opposite side to the. the where Brennan was acting from and then spins and kicks a lovely score and you see him very often when Cavan are trying to in a phase of retaining possession it's Smith yeah. that gets his hands on the ball and just calms the whole thing down for them I think they, you know his teammates obviously trust him he's always able to turn away from the tackler and retain possession and let's not forget he's the man who kicked a brilliant score off the outside of his boot against John and so I mean like he's had a he's been a massive contributing factor to Cavan in, their, in the success and had a great game yesterday but I mean Garold McKernan as well has just been exceptionally good for them I suppose yeah that, just like he, he's just a man mountain, and again, like when you have guys like James Smith, Thomas Gallagher, Grod McKernan around that middle sector of the field, along with you know Kelly Clark and these boys, I mean, like they, they, they have big, big physical size, aggression, Faulkner, even out around the middle, like they're very powerful players, and especially when the ground is heavier in these kind of at this time of the year, that uh, you know, that could be, I suppose, that sort of um physical stature can be compounded a bit. Yeah, I thought McKiernan could have shot a few times and turned back. Now, there was one or two times he turned back when it seemed to be the right thing to do, but there was other times I thought, geez, why was why wouldn't he just, you know, try one from there? You know, I thought maybe he might have had that that half yard. He was very good. Thomas Galligan, I, I said last Thursday, Conan, like, I mean, he's in pole position for an all-star. I'm going to say now, if Thomas Galligan, because this fella is the exact type of player that could be ignored for an all-star because he's not he's not a household name. You could see Garold McKiernan getting one ahead of him. They're now Ulster champions. Both of them are shoe-ins as far as I'm concerned for an all-star. When you look at the big plays Thomas Galligan has made in this championship against Monaghan, against Down, um, against Donegal, like the catch in the the catch in the in the in the first minute of injury time that led to the goal. Like I mean, he'd no right to to win that again in the wars. Went off with a head injury, came back on, able to make those big plays, scored scored a point. Like I mean, he got a great catch from a kick out in the first half, and almost just without even thinking, it was like a set play when he catches that eleven. He just turned around and gave a diagonal ball, kind of almost over his shoulder, and it ended up in a point. Like I mean, what this fella's doing? If this was Brian Fenton had the four games that he had, genuinely, and the big moments in each game. Now, Fent is a much better footballer than Galligan, although Galligan's an underrated footballer. Like, this is a, the greatest shoe-in for an All-Star I have ever seen. Uh, it really is. Like, he has been phenomenal and, like, just a massive player making massive plays at massive times, like, you know, in all these huge games. And, and like, yeah, I don't know if it's because he's... He's rough and ready, like yeah, yeah. You, say, you say. Fenton's a, a better footballer, but he is the sort of boy that you might overlook. And also because 
he's playing in all these different positions. He's going to full forward. He's going to half forward. He's going to midfield. That that's always poses a problem as well. I think when they're making when they're making all star selections. But but yesterday w- was crazy. Like he, he genuinely looked like he looked like a county star that was playing club football. You know, just just a level above, and he will catch the ball when he has to catch it, and he'll he'll swat people away when he has to. Like the, the way he won that sort of hot ball with Hugh McFadden, like Hugh McFadden, one of the biggest yeah. men in football, like that summed him up. And you mentioned his injuries, like he got a head injury, he seemed to hurt his spine, he got a big whack in the shoulder twice, cut on his eye. <laughs> he seemed to chip a bone in his hand, I think. I don't know, I obviously haven't seen an x ray of it yet, but he really hurt his hand. And then there's a couple of times when he caught the ball or hand passed it off, you could see him shaking his hand. So it was hurting him for most of that game as well. And there was not one thought in his head that he was coming off that pitch and thank god he didn't like it, it was it was heartwarming to watch how good it was yeah i think Connor madden deserves a shout out as well one two and like i mean you know you can name loads of players faulkner mclaughlin you know clark all these fellas um from from cavan like it was heroic stuff you'd have to say the performance of the weekend for me has to go to thomas galligan i think even in the first half he got a ball with his back to goal and went out and did kind of a dummy bounce i was like jesus how many what does this lad have in his locker that i haven't seen yet <laughs> like i mean he, he he's changed my mind from thinking, right, he's a big lump that, that is good in the air, to thinking he has more in him, you know, than just that. And he's a warrior, which he proved yesterday. And he's a clutch player at the most important parts of games. When you need somebody to do something, I've been in loads of games where you're just praying, please let a midfielder catch this clean. We just need this possession. Like to, for him to be able to do that at a consistent level when it's needed, I'd say his half back line, absolute half forward line, absolutely love him. He'd say his manager loves him. And, you know, I'd say he has a lot more uh, people that love him around the country, especially when we've seen so much of him this year. So there you go. Performance of the weekend is to Thomas Galligan. We'll take a break, lads, and we'll come back uh, for the Munster final. I said, are you going to get up or are you going to stay in bed? I said, we have a game there about half three. If you, <laughs> if you, if you, wouldn't, mind, if you wouldn't mind joining us. <laughs> didn't even start like, didn't even go for the back. Took his line, took his extra five minutes. It was like, it was like the snooze button. Hit the, hit the snooze button for another five minutes. Rolled out of bed. 1-7 that day. All right, lads, so I thought this game couldn't be topped, right? So, like, I mean, the fir- first time in 85 years, um, Tipperary again. The force was very, very strong here as well, lads, because this is a Tipperary team that scraped over Limerick. They needed a Connor Sweeney sideline ball. Um, they, as I said at the start of the show, Tipperary would not have beaten Kerry yesterday on a fine day um, like it was. They just would not. Force or no force, but Cork of course, Cork of course beat Kerry to you know set it up. So now it's a team that we're we're not afraid of. We've beaten at underage, and you know we're very very confident of beating them. And they were by far the better team in this. Whatever about Cavan, Tipperary were by far the better team. Connor Sweeney after the game, very very impressive sweet uh, speech. No real crowd to react to. No notes, just completely natural off the cuff. And you're looking at him going, "Geez, what an impressive." individual he is and then he goes down and makes an interview afterwards and he's talking about you know that won't not today 
it wasn't going to happen today. You know, the defiance of it. And he was asked about the occasion and said that he talked to the squad, you know, on the Tuesday night or the Monday night and says, look, let's let's not, uh, you know, get carried away with the occasion. And I don't know, Keen. just everything the man says seems to be completely sensible, completely natural. And, you know, nothing you know, no media training, just a complete natural fella who gave a very impressive speech, especially he'd no crowd to react to and give him the odd cheer every now and then. Yeah, look, he just, he's a mature adult. <laughs> That's really what you could say about him. And he spoke very, very well. And um, it's very obvious the leadership role that he plays within that team yeah. and within that squad. Uh, uh, you know, but he does it. Look, his words are, he's obviously a good speaker and you can you can tell that if he's, you know, talking to the team on a given day, you know, he's going to be saying the right things more often than not. But look, his leadership in terms of getting vital scores when they need them and standing up and, you know, being the man that they deliver the ball to when they really need something to happen. I mean, look, that's, that's what he's been for Tipperary for a number of years. And he's just, his consistency over the years has been absolutely phenomenal, putting up very, very big scores. You know, oftentimes when Tipperary were under pressure or weren't really, you know, getting getting the, the big victories that they needed, he still always done very well. And again, he was very, very sharp. The, the quality of his movement and the timing of his movement was absolutely brilliant. Again, you know, really, really patient, holding until the right opportunity and then coming very lively off the shoulder, getting a couple of yards away from his man when it was needed and clipping lovely scores. And look, what a fitting way for him as the sort of the captain and the leader of the team and the guy who's been sort of consistently doing it for a number of years for him yeah. to deliver that performance when they when they get over the line in Munster is you know fantastic personally for him. Yeah, so um, a captain, a winning captain and man of the match as well in the same final. Just incredible. And if you think that's not impressive enough, Conan, like, again, this was before we saw Cavan. And I says, I'm starting the show with Tipperary tomorrow. That's it. I'm decided. And then Cavan's going to do that. And then, like, Tipperary are being pushed out to part two of the show. Then Colin O'Reardon follows it, follows it up. Like, I mean, and if you don't get emotional watching Colin O'Reardon, like his interview blew me away. Like he said, it's the best feeling I've had in many years. It just fills me with pride so much. I get emotional even thinking about it. To me, it's one of the best days of my life. Then he's talking about wearing the Tipperary jersey. He says, yeah. it's something I will never, ever take for granted and something I will respect until the day I die. And this is why I was blown away by this. Like this is a fellow who's overplaying with Sydney Swans. This is a fellow who plays football for a county where a lot of the supporters in the county don't even care about yeah. the football team. They're the poor relation. And he still, with his like trem- mouth trembling, almost close to tears, talking about the pride. I was blown away by it because I've been interviewed after lots of matches, you know, at different times, and I've had some man of the matches. I've never spoke about the pride of playing for Leash. It never entered my head. Like, I mean, I was blown away by, by how much he spoke about that, considering this is Tipperary football. It's not that big of a deal to everybody outside Tipperary football community. Yeah, outside that that bubble, like I, I felt every single word that he was saying, and, and yeah. it really did. It all came from the heart. And I remember in 2017 on the, on the podcast, you talking about because I think this was the season after they got to the All Ireland semi final, and what was it a few hundred people who showed up to third us for a championship match? And like you know, we, we were talking about where where the hell are, are the Tipperary supporters? Like, what more do they want? They have a they have a really good team that got to the last four of the All Ireland get behind them but like you know and then that probably even just like the treatment of the the hurlers obviously they're in, they're in that county where they get treated better and they obviously went on and won in all ireland since that probably just strengthens that that bond and the, and the will for all the footballers and and for a reardon like you, you could tell as well how um 
how much he really wanted to play in this game and how thankful he was. In a way, he did thank them, Sydney Swans, like just for, for them to, to let him do it. Like I'd say when he went and asked them, they, they could see it in his face and they could see hear it in his voice, like that this means the world to him just to have this one chance to play one game for Tipperary. And it just so happens to be a once in a lifetime match. And really, like I, I know I, I get sort of emotional about this stuff anyway, but like that was... That was honestly beautiful, and just just seeing how much it meant to him, and like it, it brings you right back to the whole reason why we why we do this in the first place. Yeah, no, exactly. Like, I mean, those jerseys will be worth a fortune. Like, there's no doubt about that. Like, and I mean, they look absolutely class. Like, you know, it's not like they're ever going to sell them. You know, for them to be worth a fortune. Question is here, Keen, should they keep those jerseys now? You know, take off the bloody Sunday, um, you know, hundred year anniversary. Take all that stuff off. Put Tenio, their sponsor, on that green and white jersey, and kind of ride that wave. Like, I mean, would that make sense? No, no, I'd be totally against that. I think it's. Uh, I don't know why I'd be totally against it. Really, it just doesn't wouldn't seem right. I'd li- I'd like to purchase one of the jerseys because I think they're absolutely fast but um i don't know it wouldn't sit well with me i think it was a commemoration jersey for an event if they had if they had take the, that com- jersey. Take, take the com- com- commemoration stuff off it like that uh, used, that was your colors at one time obviously yeah well i think if they were wear if if both hurlers and footballers were wearing those jerseys for the entire year i could uh, you know i think that'd be fair enough but i think look they wore it for 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 that occasion you know on the weekend of it and it was a commemorative thing and leave it at that but look again whatever I'm sure some psychologists will say that there's benefit to doing it but uh, personally for me I'd like to see it that they they have that moment and that it's it's an amazing moment for them but they can't repeat that moment. You know, they have to try and generate a new moment down the line and, and create another another bit of history, we'll say. So I think they need to, you know, sort of acknowledge it for what it was. You know, let it sink in over the next week, a two-week break, and, you know, look at it and, and take great pride in it and then move on to the next step. And I listen, I have no doubt that that's, you know, I'm sure that with the, the things that Sweeney was saying, I'd say that's kind of the approach he'll probably take to the whole thing. But I, I suppose, yeah, there's a sort of... Um, the romantic in us all would probably like to see them wear that jersey and you know get to an All Ireland final and play Dublin, you know that kind of way where it's yeah. just you have that sort of you know amazing bit of poignancy to it. Yeah, I'm getting carried away with the emotion. Obviously, I might need to talk to a sports psychologist or something here to really pull me pull me back down down to earth. It's not it's hard. It's not it's not uh, hard to get carried away with all this stuff. Me and I think probably your analysis there, Keen, is right. They should go back to their to their other jerseys. Can I want to talk about the tip goal because like this was a big moment in the game because uh, tip were twelve seven up. That would have put the game out of sight, and tip could have swung over a few nice you know points towards the end and run out easy winners because they were easy winners really on the day. Like I mean. Terrible defending by Paul Ring, you'd have to say. What was he doing flapping at that? Like, I mean, that what he could have just caught that. I know he's a young player and everybody makes mistakes. He just flapped at it, threw it down. It was thrown across, uh, back across uh, the field. And it was Casey who ran back in from an off the field position. And Stephen O'Brien was in the square, but he had got up from being on the ground. You know what I mean? He didn't seem to be interfering with anything and the pass wasn't for him. So, like, I mean, there was total confusion in the commentary. Like, I mean, that commentary of that game, when you have Marty on football and Marty's very weak on football, that's putting it nicely. And you have Desi with him. It was like two transition year students, you know, trying to analyse and commentate on a game. Names being gotten wrong. um, Mark's being called freeze. You know, just general Terrible. I just had to turn the volume down on the commentary. And that's, I don't want to disrespect the two guys. I just want to call it as I see it because I really like um, Desi Dolan. I will defend them on this in that it was a very, very hard call. My first instinct on it was that he'd come up, come in from off the field and the goal 
was right to be disallowed because Conor Madden only last week was analysed on the Sunday game and saying coming in off the off the pitch like that is against the rules. And that is now it took them about 10 minutes to come up with this. And it was wrong in the end. It was like they got a text or like, you know, someone friend might have texted them because they started going to town then on that on that reason. And, you know, like as it turns out, the goal should have stood, Conan. You you got some confirmation on this. Yeah, like it's you're right, because I, I thought that as well. The only confusing thing for me watching it was that Morris Deegan clearly signaled a square ball. So uh, he, he completely guessed. I mean he he blew the whistle before the ball before the ball had even got to yeah. the man who tapped it and he blew a free against Stephen O'Brien for being in the square. He blew it that. early. He didn't even see the temporary man coming in to knock it to the net. So I mean look, let's not talk too much about Morris Deegan. He nearly ruined that game again, blowing yeah. the free and freeze ridiculous stuff and that, but that's the thing that's the thing I would be annoyed with Desi Dolan he agreed with some of the worst refereeing yeah. decisions I've ever come across Conan like I mean always made out that Morris Deegan's having a good game it's like what game are you watching he's blowing some ridiculous calls here Oh, and, and the first 20 minutes do you know little like fouls that you wouldn't really think of too much but he was handing Luke Connolly scores and every time like Desi Dolan was saying yeah easy decision there like, <laughs> over, yeah. over a replay of nothing happening you know, <laughs> well, I, I thought that the best one was Colin O'Reardon the slow-mo replay clearly showed Colin O'Reardon with his hands out not making any yeah. contact with the tackle waiting to time it to tackle the ball and uh, you know Desi Dolan saying that oh yeah he just rushes in over eager there to get the tackle in while the replay on the screen was clearly showing him making absolutely no contact his hands, with the out. his hands out he gave Morris no other choice there he had his hands out he yeah. wasn't even trying to tackle him but like back back to the goal, um, like Morris Deegan was wrong to call a square ball. Like you mentioned, Stephen O'Brien's in the square, right? But he's allowed to be in the square because he doesn't have time to get back out. Like that's the rule. He doesn't have time to get back out by the time it's played back in, and it's not gone to him. It's it's gone to Casey, who's coming off the pitch. Yeah, so we probably all thought of the Madden thing, but but Casey was knocked off the pitch. He was shoulder charged off the pitch, so he didn't run out to gain an advantage. Which yeah, he, he didn't. He didn't deliberately leave the field. Yeah. The game. No, no, like to, 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 yeah. To be fair, though, Conan, like in Desi and Marty's defence, that is a difficult one to get right on a live game. That is one that uh, that I will give them one lifeline for <laughs> on that. Like, and it was tough, and but both on both counts, it should have been a goal. Like, it wasn't a square ball. It wasn't deliberately off the pitch, and that would have been game over for Tip there and then. Yeah, I, was think, I think the rule on it, Woolly, really. I mean, the rule, the, the spirit of that rule is that if a, if, a, if a ball is being kicked in from a 45 or something, that someone can't gain advantage by running five yards behind the end line to and leap and pass the ball. I mean, let's face it, if the ball is near the sideline and you just about keep the ball in play and flick it past the player, run out over the sideline and gain yeah. possession, that's not a deliberate attempt, attempt to gain advantage. Your momentum takes you over the line. There's nothing you can really do about it. They're not fouls like. No, no, they're not fouls. And to be honest, it probably if it wasn't Connor Madden's goal and the analysis around that kind of had that in my head off the pitch, you know, goals yeah. should be disallowed. But anyways, like what the one thing on the commentary that really annoyed me in the first half, it was like I think Steve, it was Stephen O'Brien. He was wearing white bicycle shorts. Michael Cunliffe wasn't wearing white bicycle shorts, and he gave a lovely ball in off the outside of his boot. And Marty, of course, gets the name wrong, got names wrong um, the whole way through it. And um, you have Desi saying, "Yeah, well, that was a great ball by Michael Cunliffe. I told you now he was an important player, and he's after coming into the game, and it wasn't even." him to give the pass like I mean basic analysis around something that didn't even happen like it was absolutely um, gas stuff but like I mean I suppose the analysis of this one lads to get into that is like it's it's very very easy and I want to start with Cork well well, I start with Cork it's all kind of interlinked right because it was like Cork had never seen Tipperary play this year or ever seen any sort of video of Tipperary we knew 
last Thursday. We said Quinn Livin and Sweeney will be left up front of their own. Tipperary are a pretty defensive team. Now, even Colin O'Rourke said in the Alliance afterwards, Tipperary looked like they were playing great football and looked like a very good football team. That's because Cork allowed hit them, hit them on the counter-attack. And we've said it for years. When a defensive team gets easy turnovers, especially around their 45, they look swashbuckling. They look great to commit bodies to attack. You know, then they get a couple of good scores and it looked great. This was all Cork's fault. I've never seen a team more clueless playing against a defensive team in all my life. And you contrast it to the teams that can play well against the the Dublins, the Cavans, the Donegals. You slow down the attack. You don't go 100 miles an hour in ones and twos and leave their double sweeper in there and then try and force kick passes in when all the double sweeper is going to do is doubling up, double up on, on, on your man. What do you do when you're faced with a defensive, a defensive system? You slow down the attack. You move players up on the zonal players that Tipperary are trying to have back to double up. You spread your attack out. You angle your runs infield from the from the players that spread out. You come around on the loop. Did you see Cork once come around on the loop? Did you see them once try to be patient? It was like a big panic. Right, we're on the 45 now. And Tipperary has loads of players back. Well, I'm just going to go running through here. And now he gets, sw- you know, bottled up. It was like, what is going on here? Like, I mean, Keen Christ Almighty, did you ever see a team more clueless? And to be fair, make Tipperary look like a sensational team. This was almost like maybe tactics from 2014 tricking another team out. Yeah, it was. Look, it was uh, look, it was desperate stuff from Cork. But I mean, look, it wasn't uh, it was nothing new, really. I mean, they, they faced the, the blanket defence against Kerry and they, they didn't really fare much better. It was just, I suppose, the, the nature of that game meant that the focus was more on Kerry than on Cork. And we spoke about how Cork's attacking play was was pretty poor on the day, you know, saved by probably some very good scores. Um, but I mean, against Tipperary and Arthur, it was just poor stuff. It was very static. When Connolly went off, they didn't really have that, you know, any support inside for Hurley. Mark no. Collins was trying to come out the field to try and make things happen, but it's very difficult for one player. He's getting on the ball and he's trying to play a creative pass and play, but there's just no space for him to play that ball into. You no. know, so Cork players just weren't really doing enough. They weren't keeping within the game. And it was probably, uh, you know, the wrong players may- maybe at times getting on the ball. Very central in the pitch as well, more often than not. I mean, there yeah. was... No attempt didn't, to even bring the ball down the wing and then maybe recycle the back and play it to the open side, pick three up, uh, shooting opportunities. There was, was no method. There didn't appear to be any method to the Cork attack. Now, look, again, sometimes there can be all the, you know, that the, the coaches could have gone through an awful lot of this and then maybe they go behind in the game and they're a young team, you know, they've some young players and their mind gets scrambled or, you know, they make some skill errors and underfoot conditions are a bit snippy. And I'm trying to make excuses for them here, but their attacking play was really, really poor. He didn't actually challenge Tipperary's defence in any meaningful way to make life difficult for them. Tipperary went back into their shell. Cork turned the ball over and Tipperary at times were quite poor themselves trying to work the ball up out, you know, trying to work the ball out from their own defence. But when they did get, I suppose, that quick, that fast break from their own 45, you know, they kicked some magnificent scores, particularly in the first half. Yeah, and like I suppose the scores then that they're getting is Sweeney coming out, you know, on the on the loop and the defense Cork defense turned and chasing and kind of you know panicked a little bit. The, like the, the 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 often for Cork, especially in the second half when Collins came out the field and he did all right when he came out the field. At least he was trying. Often the times somebody could be on the ball for Cork on it, and the only person that they have inside or in front of them is Brian Hurley and this poor chap we know his movement's good he's running over and back and over and back and often the kick pass into him was terrible even if he caught the kick pass 
you know, one of the Tipperary double uh, covering players was going to double up in a many, so it was a complete waste of time. And you contrast Cavan or Donegal. When their ball carrier has the ball, how many options do they have in front of them? They have because they've moved players up and they have taken the zonal players, most of them, you know, maybe bar one. And in that scenario then, when you have done that and you have taken Tipperary's zonal players away from them, a kick pass might appear then, you know what I mean, out of nowhere when yeah. everyone's paired off. But the Cork thing, they looked like they had no options because they had nobody ahead of the ball. Uh, and like, uh, yeah, by complete contrast, you mentioned Tipperary, like they, they just had such energy as well. When they turned the ball over, it was almost like Dublin-esque where boys ran flying forward ahead of the ball to give people more options. Like Cork, I know we're, we're saying like, have they never seen Tipperary play? Have, have they not? played football for the last 10 years <laughs> it's it's so strange that they, they've come up against this this system and like had no ideas there was a stage in the second half where Rory Dean was coming across and Mark Collins had come out like you say and and Dean had to get around Mark Collins who was just standing there watching him and like that sort of summed up the the lethargy there was there was no urgency in anything they did they had no invention yet like Brian Hurley I think he won like two balls in the second half and both times you were like, fuck, fair play, Brian, because because he was under such pressure. But of course, when he won it, there was nobody around him. It was like, honestly, it was, it was like watching a team getting caught by Donny Gall in 2011 and not knowing what to do, kicking it into to poor Paddy Bradley, who has seven men beating him up and nobody in support. It was um, thoroughly disappointing from Cork and I'm like, like complete opposite. It was brilliant from Tipperary. Yeah, that's what really disappointed me from a Cork point of view. If you're if you're talking about them beating Kerry, Ronan McCarthy said after the game, our decision making was poor. We rushed our offence, which maybe makes you think in some way they might have spoken about this. But like, I mean, geez, I I don't know. Like, I mean, you, just Cork. I just couldn't believe. It's just very very hard to believe that in this day and age, like we've seen Leash play the likes of Carlo, who might be a bit more defensive than Tip, but not not all that much. Leash handling this. Like I thought after. Dublin beat Tyrone in 2017. These these systems, Cork might have made the game look a little bit less boring. Tipperary wouldn't have looked as good. But listen, Cork would have controlled those attacks and would have got through them. And the favourite generally beats the defensive team, Keen. That's that's what we've been analysing for three years now. And we've gone back in time. Like, it's incredible. So I don't blame Tipperary. They took, took their chances on it. And like I said, um, when you get players back, and your zonal players aren't aren't uh, occupied. You will get your turnovers, and if you get turnovers on the forty-five, especially, boom, you know, and that counter attack looks absolutely fantastic. And to be fair, Tipperary looked fantastic on it um, at times yesterday. Ah, they did, yeah. Like the, it, in fairness to Tipperary, when it did work for them, it, you know, it, it does look very good because the transfer of the ball can be very quick from from end to end. Yeah, and players are flying up the field, and they can get some lovely scores, but. Look, it's down really, like Cork were the ones that had possession and they just, unfortunately for them on the day, look, Ronan McCarthy, as you mentioned, pointed out about poor decision-making in possession. So, I mean, look, that's ultimately what it comes down to. Like, there was a few very careless sort of passes from Cork that just gave temporary energy in the game. Like, Cork got the, got the kind of, you know, really started very well and Cork kind of got the way into the game, got a couple of soft frees to put themselves back level and maybe go ahead. And, and then they just, I suppose gifted Tipperary these counter-attack opportunities. And it was kind of foolish because Cork were neither doing one thing nor the other. They kind of went to a certain point and they were all, I suppose, in a line across the, across yeah. the Kerry, our Tipperary screen. They didn't push in and try to make some runs and drag Tipperary defenders out of the way. Like, I'm not advocating. Look, nobody wants to see the whole team run up the field and stand up there. I mean, like, that doesn't work either. But it, it would seem to me like that they just maybe had guys that were just a little bit unsure. Maybe they're very... 
you know, some young players in there, but just didn't really have the know-how to to manage the game. And I suppose maybe the look, maybe the occasion of a monster final maybe got to them. And you know, there are some external factors that maybe had had an impact. But on the pitch on the day, they didn't do enough. Their decision making was poor. Their movement was very poor from an attacking perspective. They didn't do enough. And then when they were defensive. You know, when they were out of possession, they didn't do enough either. They didn't cover up the gaps quickly enough. It was as if they were caught ball watching an awful lot of the time when Tipperary were breaking forward. Um, so, look, they'd be extremely disappointed from their own perspective that they didn't perform, I'm sure, to the level that they would have expected of themselves. And I suppose that's the one thing when it comes to these knockout games. You have to have you have to be able to perform on the day. And Tipperary had more players who performed well. And they also had, you know, they got some magnificent scores from Quinlevin and, you know, in particular Quinlevin, um, which was sort of a difference maker in the end. But look, Tipperary were the more dominant team throughout and they should have had game out of sight for that goal before it was. Yeah, no, I you know they definitely should have. They were they were definitely the dominant team. We'll get on to some of their brilliant uh, performers in performance at the weekend. All, again, all on the the Tipperary side. David Power, because we were speculating last Thursday, myself, uh, Jer, and Connor Conan about how they would use the emotion of this. And Connor Sweeney said they parked it. David Power pretty much said the same thing, so they didn't touch on it at all. And we were kind of speculating that might not be a bad idea to touch on it somewhat kind of to wind up your players. He said to be wearing that green and white jersey was an honour, an absolute honour. And that's all. We kind of left it at that. At the end of the day, we had to play that match because if we really, really got caught in the emotion, you might get caught. David Power is an unusual one, Conan. Like he doesn't strike me as an inspirational type of fella at all. Like he seems a very unassuming sort of fella, not the best communicator in interviews. You know, like, I mean, some great shots of him at the final whistle where he just looks up in the sky and walks around going, oh, my God. <laughs> like, I mean, this is a manager again now who's won a, a, a monster title. Um, for the first time in 85 years, won a minor All-Ireland against a Dublin team. And we know the list of players that was on that. John Small, uh, McCaffrey, Mannion, Lowndes, all these fellas. Like it was a list of players who are now dominating at senior level. And I know because of the character David Power is, he will never get the credit that if Mick O'Dwyer had just did those two things. Again, a bit like Thomas Galligan and Brian Fenton, when you're built up to, to be, you know, you, sometimes you deserve obviously the attention you get. David Power will never get it because he's unassuming. And I don't think David Power gives a shit that he'll never get it. I don't think he does. I think you're right. Like he, I think he genuinely just cares mostly about Tipperary. And like, you know, he saw that. Like it's just a, it breathes us. Like the way he mentioned all those other coaches, like they just came to his head like like that. He knew who was all involved in this. It's talked about knowing that that minor team would win in All-Ireland. He thought it would be 2012. It was, it was 2011. And, and yeah, Connor Sweeney gave him a gave him a great nod as well afterwards, and it was typical Connor Sweeney. There's no bullshit. There's no waste of words. He just said, "David, like shout out to you, your first year. You're doing all right, lad." <laughs> so, yeah. like, I thought that just summed it up best. And he's 37 years of age. Like he he might end up getting a lot more credit on down the line. But um, if if, if Connor Sweeney had fo- followed the script, well, there's one man left that I have to thank. <laughs> <laughs> that's myself <laughs> he took us over this year when nobody said we could do it and that man is David Power yeah <laughs> what about, what about uh, just while we're on it poor Raymond Galligan didn't get to make a speech because whoever was uh, presenting him with the trophy walked off with the mic <laughs> and Galligan was sort of standing there he lifted the trophy hung around and then got the hell out of there because Calvin were celebrating none, none of the Calvin boys were able to talk after the game anyway I, mean, <laughs> I, think, I think Raymond Galligan was only delighted I'd say that he could had time to gather himself 
But yeah, but that's it. like, I mean, like definitely David Power took the attention off himself. You're right. And talked about, you know, other managers. He's definitely um, in for performance of the weekend. It's not often that I put both managers in for performance of the weekend, lads, but um, other nominations all in the Tipperary side again. Connor Sweeney, just incredible. Two marks, four from play or two marks, three from play and two frees. I think it was seven um, in total. So five, you'd say, are marks called from play or the marks? I, I think they should be called from play anyways. They're not frees. They're kind of, uh, okay, we'll just call them marks. <laughs> I don't know. He got, he, like, but like, I mean, you want leadership. You're looking at a mark at the very start of the game, um, Keen. You're looking at a mark at the very start of the second half. Marty might have called it a free, but it was a mark. And then, you know, I suppose Tipperary's great start was down to no, well, it was down to a good few of them, but it was the captain, the captain that said, we're in this game, we're here to play. And that was all down to Sweeney. And it was, yeah. No, very sharp, like I said earlier on, very sharp in his movement for the first, um, for the first score from play where he just comes, in a, you know, this sort of a 10, 10 meter burst just straight onto the hand pass and, and clips it over his shoulder. Lovely score. And he look, the score he got in the second half from play was a brilliant one where Quinlevin, uh, chipped it down along the ground to him. It, it's low. He has to gather it low. It's a difficult one with the defender on his back. You could see he was trying to slip it to the Tipperary runner coming through, realised it wasn't on, and then just sort of posed himself, steadied up, and despite pressure from about four Cork defenders around him, clipped the score. I mean, like they're just invaluable to a team. Like How many times do we see in games a forward wins a ball like that down low? He's under a bit of pressure. He tries to fumbles it or doesn't gather it first time or then makes a wrong decision and tries to play a pass that's not on or worse again takes the shot and it drops into the keeper's hands you know so just all of those things were just bang on for Sweeney and at key times in the game like certainly the start of a, of a final like that where you're the underdog it is very very important to get a good start because it just gives a bit of confidence to the team yeah um, no that was yeah. a crucial one and then obviously the one the second half came at the right time for them kind of I think maybe put the, four points up or three points up at the time. So there were key scores. Yeah, there were definitely key scores. Michael Quinn-Livin. Um, Michael Quinn-Livin, if you're playing against Tipperary and he's out around the midfield, like, I mean, you're kind of delighted about it. He's in a he's in a position where he was in with Sweeney, but he was kind of out in front of Sweeney as well. He was getting on the ball a bit further from goals. He got, um, I think he got four from play um, in total and one free. Like, I mean, the point from play he got at the, from the bad kick out by Michal Martin, I was sure because Quinlivan is an audacious type of player and he does like scoring goals. I thought he'd whack that off the outside of the boot just yeah. into, into the empty net. Did you, Connor? Like, he went for the inside of the boot and it actually hit the stanchion. It was going to drop. Um, it, it wasn't that far off getting getting a goal there. No, I thought he was he was actually lining up to do it as well, but he seemed to slip as like I think that was his first instinct. Just hit as the outside of the boot to let it go over or, or sail into the net, and he slipped and he just hit it then because somebody was closing down on him. And and you're right, it, it hit the crossbar. Like it's, it's three scores in the first half. Obviously, the outside of the boot one on the wing was class, but the 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 two that he got with his instep were, were just like fine, fine, like a corner forward score. It's just something that a top tier corner forward would yeah. do. Yeah, and he's under pressure and he has to lift it over a block and like and in fairness to Desi Dolan, like he knew that he was a good player as well, so he had he had as well warned that Michael Smith <laughs> would do something. Yeah. Well to be fair, would it, without really giving Desi the boot, Colin O'Rourke did a piece on Sweeney and Quinn Living as if he's like, you know, showing us two players that we wouldn't be very <laughs> very familiar with. And then at the end of the game says, Yeah, now the two players that I pointed out before the game, they were the two that probably came came to the fore, you know what I mean? You might not like to slag off a meat man. 
Oh no! I mean, look, if we could all we could all give it a take, it. But I mean, like, yeah, I mean, he didn't really give us much new there, Colm, To be fair, but uh, I suppose he was right too. <laughs> yeah, no, no, look, he was dead right. But like, if if Tipperary were going to have to win, those two fellas were going to have to to play well. Colin Reardon was very good right throughout. Big, strong presence, and I thought Stephen O'Brien, Tipperary, not be pushed around by anybody. When you have the big men that they have, Liam Casey was very, very good right throughout. You've Liam Casey, O'Reardon, and Stephen O'Brien. Like, I mean, these are big units out around that mid field like I mean you're not going to be pushing them around or beating them aerially um very easy then they have the two boys inside they have their they have the, they have Robbie Kiley and Bill Maher we didn't see much of Bill Maher in an, in an attacking sense Robbie Kiley had a great battle with uh, Rory Dean and and definitely came out on top of that I thought Kevin Fahey at centre back uh played very well he um he came off injured towards the end but again one of those zonal players and out like a light on players Conan whenever and a real combative kind of warrior type player yeah, and I actually think like Bill Maher sort of had the same sort of game as him. Like we didn't see him go forward as much, but it was just a, a dirty sort of performance, which is sometimes more satisfying. And I think Fahey sort of led the way in that terms, where they were just holding holding that fort on the 45 and like, yeah, getting getting stuck in. Brian Fox is coming around. Like Tipperary just they, they won a lot of just dirty balls as well. And they talked about that afterwards as well. Like, you know, I think it was might have been Connor Sweeney just talked about everybody going out and winning their battles. Like, you know, that's sort of was lying throughout the whole team and Fahey was to the fore of that. Yeah, it definitely was. Like I said, Liam Casey deserves a mention as well. Jimmy Fian, excellent, um, excellent too. Evan Comerford got that important um, 45 when it was needed too. So like, I mean, did loads of good performances, but I think Connor Sweeney was head and shoulders above everybody else on the field. And as captain, what a satisfying feeling for Connor Sweeney to wake up this morning, to be captain of the team and lift the cup for the first time in 85 years and to be man of the match. So not only are you the captain, you led by example, you were the best player on the field and you did. Oh, my God. Once before um, I was man of the match in a county final as captain. And I can only tell you that's a much lower level than Conor Sweeney achieved yesterday. The sense of satisfaction that you've done your job as captain and you've won. And, you know, you're supposed to be the leader and you did it in your man of the match. Listen, I'm, I'll let Conor Sweeney describe it maybe sometimes because... Uh, um, you know, I can only imagine what it's like for him to wake up this morning. We'll try and get some of the Tipperary and Cavan uh, players or managers on the show on Thursday and we'll do a, do a show. There's not enough time to get any interviews um, today. So, yeah, Connor Sweeney performs for the weekend. We'll come back and we'll talk about the shambles that is the Leinster Championship. Conan Doherty is a fantastic analyst. and I mean, I really heed what he would say in your programme. I think Tyrone are going to win. I'm going to go with them. I, as much as I, I predicted Dublin to win the All Ireland at the start of the year, I just think Tyrone are going too well. They're unaffected by the other team. Too well set up. I think they've been preparing for Dublin for two years. They're ready for them. I'm, I'm going to go with them. Yeah. All right, so Les, I don't know about G, but I don't see the point in analysing this game. This was just a complete domination, a, 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 a complete d- destruction of a team that was in Division 1, you know, this year and a decent team and a team that if they were in Ulster, if they're in Connacht, you know, could be in, in finals and potentially winning them. When you see Roscommon win in Connacht, you know, you see Cavan winning Ulster, who's to say Mead or Kildare couldn't win those provinces? I think they could. And based off, you know, winning that, you know, all the knock-on effects of confidence, momentum, you know, interest within the county, all those things to improve your county and take you to the next level, all those things, 
you know, you can improve on. The Leinster Championship is a joke. It's a farce. And it has been for a long time now. Dublin have won 15 of the last 16 uh, championships. The winning margins, even in the finals, like it's just absolutely scary. So you would say um, Dublin's biggest threats, if you call them that, in Leinster are Mead and Kildare. Right. And then after that, you'd probably say Leash and Westmead. And that's based on who's been reaching the finals. The last six finals, um, Dublin have beaten Mead by 16, Leash by 18, Kildare by nine. And Kildare were lauded after that for, you know, putting up such a great performance. Westmead by 15, Westmead by 13 and Mead by 16. Dublin are now 100 to one on to beat the Ulster champion, champions in Cavan. Like, I mean... It's hard to know what to say about Dub- this Dublin dominance and how it's it's going to go from Leinster into the All-Ireland series. Dublin beat Mayo last year by 10 points. They've destroyed Roscommon in the Super 8s. They've destroyed Galway in an All-Ireland semi-final. They've destroyed Tyrone in Croke Park in, a Leinster, in an All-Ireland semi-final. They've destroyed Monaghan in an All-Ireland quarter-final. They've destroyed Cork in the Super 8s last year by 13 points. The only teams they haven't destroyed is an old Mayo team that's now gone because they've destroyed this Mayo team or they've destroyed Mayo's team last year by 10 points and we'll have to see what to do to this to this new Mayo team because it's completely different to the one that was able to put it up to them and Kerry and to be honest they've destroyed Kerry on a couple of occasions as well they didn't they probably did beat them very well by 6 points in the replay last year Kerry had uh, 15 men versus 14 men in the drawn one this is a, a complete an utter worry for the association, Keen. There is no doubt about that. Like, I mean, you can't... The, the Leinster Championship is... What's the point of it, Keen? What is the point of it for... And what's the point of it for Dublin? It's gotten to the stage now where, it, where it's a farce. Let's stick to the Leinster Championship for now. I'm sure uh, if Dublin wins six in a row, we can maybe extend it to the All-Ireland Series. But what is the point of the Leinster Championship at the moment? Yeah, well, look at it. It's, it's very frustrating for all concerned because, I mean, it, it's effectively, it's over before it starts in many respects. And I suppose, look, the real disappointment, I can only look at it from, say, a Mead perspective, is that um, I suppose there was always, there was always traditionally the expectation that Mead would, you know, the whole thing of, oh, Mead won't fear Dublin and all this sort of stuff. I mean, like, there's a reason that was said. I mean, like, historically, Dublin have, you know, wouldn't, we're always going to be the winners of the Leinster Championship. Look at the population advantage they have. I mean, like it doesn't take a rocket scientist. But I suppose the era I grew up in was of Mead competing with Dublin and beating Dublin. And maybe that was a bit of a golden era in the late 80s and early 90s. And even into the 2000s, you know, in fairness, Mead started to drop off at that stage. And that was when the, the real Dublin dominance started to begin. And I suppose in the early 2000s, you had Beach and West Mead were exceptionally good teams. And in the late 90s, you know, in early 2000s, Kildare had a really good team. And I suppose even in the mid-2000s, Kildare had a very good team. We were quite good. So I think if you look at it, like we got to an All-Ireland semi-final 2007, 2009. Pretty sure Kildare got to one in 2010. And in 2008, Wexford, I think, got to an All-Ireland semi-final. So, I mean, like there were other, there were other teams in the province who were, you know, quite, quite good teams. I, I think in 2010, Westmead might have beaten uh, Dublin in, uh, or sorry, it was 2008. I think Westmead beat Dublin in a Division Two League final in Navan. So, I mean, like the Dublin dominance has really been 2010 onwards. I mean, from the time that they won their first All Ireland uh, in that in you know since '95, I mean, it's been a cakewalk. I mean, they've been progressively getting further and further away from teams in yeah. Leicester. That, in my, in yeah, my that, time of playing, I suppose I always would have looked at and thought. No inferiority complex for for me as a Mead player, as an individual or as a collective team. We always felt like we were going out to play Dublin and give them, you know, we were going to give them a game and we had a, we had a 
uh, he had a real tangible chance of winning the match, always with that expectation. And he used to drive me mad because I'd be watching teams that we would be playing against within the province that would give us right games or beat us in matches. And then they'd go out against Dublin and they would fold after 10 or 15 minutes because they didn't believe they had any chance of competing. And that used to drive me mad as a player because I was thinking, what is the story with these these players, these teams? Like, Why are they just giving up before they've even started whenever they play Dublin and they don't do that against other teams? But it, there's a real thing now where... No, there are no teams within Leinster who probably, in the cold light of day, think they have any realistic chance of beating Dublin, and that's a very, very sad state of affairs. You know yeah. that you have counties with the population and the the, the tradition of Meath and Kildare, and you know, in the co- like players when they're in the bubble will always look at it and will always take the positives because they have to, I suppose, justify the time commitment they're putting into something and and try to, I suppose. To a certain extent, postpone their disbelief, or you know, you make it, you make it, make some case for the, you know, that they have a, a chance here. But I mean, like, it, it's becoming less and less likely. And the worst of it is, the more this cycle continues, I mean, the harder it is to arrest the whole slide. And really, it's already gone way too far. And I suppose the GAA, as an organization, as an organization, really have to look at it because. Nobody was interested in watching the Mead Dublin game after about 10 minutes or 15 minutes. No. Nobody. Everybody watched to the end the, the two games played on Sunday because there was a, because there was an actual contest, you know, on. Like, I think we're going to... Look, it pains me to say it, but I mean, like, Dublin are Dublin are probably going to beat Cavan by about 15 points and they're probably then going to win the All-Ireland final by 10 points plus. And that's going, that trend is most likely going to continue for the next number of seasons. Yeah, and that, that like, if that's not a wake-up call, this dominance, Conan, like, I mean, because when Dublin hadn't won a Leinster, they went from 95 without winning a Leinster until, was it 2002? Yeah, when the, like, when Tommy Lyon came over. I mean, like, there's counties out there, like, Tipperary hadn't won a football title for 85 years. Yeah, where no. Was, but, where was the funding there? Oh, exactly. Well, they, they, yeah, they obviously say there's so, there's some kind of idea out there that the GEA needs a strong Dublin, right? And whatever, for whatever, it's probably for commercial reasons um, and things like that. So they, they they decided that Dublin weren't achieving what they, they should be achieving. And they, they sat down strategically to improve Dublin football. And that is with both government funding from from Bertie Hearn government and it is true absolutely in my eyes shockingly disproportionate games development money from the GEA and that's been pumped in since 2005 and if you're telling me that has no difference in the meantime Dublin have been able to hire a full-time CEO they've been able to put structures in place marketing team marketing departments they're able to put a professional setup in all of the clubs with full-time professionals running the show not not poor amateurs the father of one of the players trying his best to try and keep it going that's what's happening in the other counties this is not a level playing field they play all their games in Croke Park, all their important ones, all their league games. Croke Park is their home ground. The majority of the sport. If you're telling me all these things don't mean anything, then you're talking absolute shit. You don't know what you're talking about. And any Dublin supporter that looks is very, very honest with themselves will have to admit that this is a completely unfair situation. And unless the only solution to this is because you don't want to roll back on the funding either. Because if you roll back on the funding, rugby's strong in the north, in the south side of Dublin. Soccer's strong in the in the in the north side of Dublin. You might lose footholds in these schools, and you might lose it to GEA. And then what are you going to do? Like, I mean, the only solution, as far as I'm concerned, is to break Dublin up into four different. Uh, 
uh, teams, north, south, east and west. And let's see and make it some bit fairer, because right now with the structures, the sponsorship money, with all these things they have in place and the professional setup that the other teams just don't stand a chance. Like, and there, there is an argument to say that the other teams, especially in Leinster, have gone backwards. And they have. Have they been beaten into submission? Have they given up? Who knows the answer to that? Like I saw James Dolan, like a Westmead player, a brilliant wing back, tweeting um, after the, the Leinster final, give Dublin a buy into the Super 8s next year and let the rest of us fight out for Leinster. Dublin are in a league of their own. They do this to every team in the country, bar two or three. Now, I could not believe, I could not even imagine myself ever tweeting anything like that if Twitter was around when I was playing. I couldn't look at myself in the mirror to think that I would actually admit that as a player. And I don't know whether to credit James Dolan for it or whether to go, Jesus, mate. You know, I don't know. Maybe he's just very, very realistic about it. But like, I mean, you look at the situation for James Dolan and like, I, I don't I don't know, Conan, like, I played on a leash team who beat Dublin once, who won Leinster, who were in around the mix. I'm convinced that that leash team that I played on wouldn't get destroyed by Dublin like that. We were we we had too good a team. Our forwards were too good. Our midfield leash are nowhere near that team now and are getting destroyed by Dublin. It, like have all the other teams fallen back to the point? Like the mid team now is nowhere near the mid team Keane played on. Are again not even in the same planet as the nineties teams. There's an argument Dublin have gotten better and have massive unfair advantages, but there's also the argument that the other teams in Leinster have gone back. I don't know why. Yeah, but like that that's it's almost um it's a perfect storm. Like I, I don't want to the play any of it down at all because it is it's mad and it's it's not a level playing field. You can't say it's not. Like you can get into reasons about the GA funding and whether you agree with that or not. But um like it's the byproduct is this senior machine, the senior football machine. And it's happened at a time like so we have Dublin who are probably they are the best team that we've we've seen. And you have a Leinster like where there's only four other teams in the top sixteen in the league. None of them in the top eight in the league anymore. Like you have four Division Two teams, and then the rest are Division Three and Four teams. So that's like, come down to like a, a provincial thing as well, because somebody drew a line about a thousand years ago around these twelve counties, and now they are fated to play against Dublin every single year. When when what eight out of twelve of them aren't even in Division Two. Like so, like that 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 makes it worse. It definitely every year when we have to see him playing Wicklow and Longford and and the like every single year. And and again, you're right as well when you say like that. There's an idea there that we need a strong Dublin. Like I do agree with that because of what you said about the about the schools. Like you, you don't want to lose to to soccer or to yeah. rugby. And like Dublin again, again, this is a separate question when you come back down to a senior football championship. But Dublin is where a quarter of the island. Is living like you know, and that's including all the counties in the north. So you do need to invest in there, and then you, you do obviously then probably need to ask a separate question regarding what's happening because of that investment. Like the first thing, the first priority is to make sure all these people are playing GA. But then, Jesus, when they're as engaged as they are now, then it's obviously a, a runaway freight train. Yeah, no, like I mean, that's the thing, Keen. Like when you look at, I look at Billy Sheehan, for example, who played with Leash. He's a Kerry player. He's living in and working in Dublin now. He's three sons, you know. And like I mean, they're all going to play for Dublin, you know. Like I mean, Dublin have all the population. They have everybody moving there because of work, you know. And they have all these this funding from the the government. They have all this sponsorship money. They have the structures in place. It's just a machine. Like the numbers, like Sakil McCook-Croft can have at you know the under ten, under twelve levels. It's a numbers game, Keen, and it's a it's a structures game. And now that Dublin have 
everything working in their favour. You know, it's just it's 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 completely unfair. Is there an argument that the GA stops giving them games development money and says with the sponsorship money that you're able to generate, you need to be self-sufficient here? You know, or is that unfair on Dublin or is the answer to split Dublin? Listen, I don't actually know. My view on it is that if you look at Dublin clubs, Dublin clubs have bigger picks than most counties. So to my mind, there shouldn't even be a Dublin inter-county team. If you're, if you're talking about making it an equitable system, then the Dublin, you know, Dublin clubs have, have as big a pick as counties. So, I mean, they have the exact same resources and beyond. I mean, I, I don't, it's, it's very hard to try and put your finger on because the whole parish system, by its very nature, is not, it's not set up with a modern day sporting organisation in mind where you have an, you know, an equitable playing field. You know, if you, if you go through each county, and, and look at the role of honour for the, the top, you know, who's who's top of the role of honour. I look at me, Navin O'Mahony's by a mile from Navin, Port Leash, I'm sure, yeah. by a long way. You know, you go down to Kerry, I'm sure it's the Killarney clubs. Or, you know, big urban areas in every county, almost always, are the ones with the, the big role of honour for winning the most most titles. Dublin are just the town team of the of the of the inter county setup, and everybody else is a is a rural country team with limited resources. Significantly lower pay, yeah, but the, the, the difference and an inability there, to compete consistently the over the years. The difference there is that the Leash County Board don't pump Port Leash full of completely, you know, more games development money than all the than all the other clubs. Like, I mean, but it, I mean, that's the point, Wally. I mean, this if you go back to two thousand and three, it was a fucking stupid idea. It was an absolutely ridiculous idea. I mean, yeah. the, the sport is there. People play sport for a variety of reasons. Firing a load of games development officers into a place, does that into schools, does that make kids play? Yeah, maybe. But what about the knock-on effects? What about the fact that in 31 other counties, nobody else, people are completely disillusioned by it and don't want to play anymore? So does that mean we're going to have just PAA uh, being played in the in the city of Dublin? Like, I mean, that's, that's ludicrous uh, to begin with. So, I mean, somebody needs to have a serious look at it and say, well, what do we want? Like, what do we actually want here from this game? I mean, at this stage, I would actually advocate that if you want to have an equitable system, do away with county entirely and just play club championship. Because if you think about it, in every individual county, then you have some level of play platforms. You get divisional teams joined up together. Maybe maybe you have that. Maybe that's what you do. Maybe division three and four teams are combined or certain or certain things like that. But nobody will have the appetite to support that difficulty. When you have a big change like this, it's how do you get public buy-in? How do you get player buy-in? And it, it's a very, very difficult situation to be in. To, to, yeah. To be in, and it's a terrible, terrible situation for for the for the sport. Actually, it's a dreadful situation for the sport to be in because if this cycle continues, and there's no, there's absolutely no evidence to suggest that this isn't going to continue for multiple years going forward. If if the current format is retained, um, I don't see where the game goes. Like I, I see it, and think of the next generation of kids coming up in in all the in different counties. I mean. What is the incentive? Okay, people love the sport, but the reason people love the sport is that you can compete. Nobody, nobody wants to go out and be be hammered out the gates. Nobody wants to go out and have no chance of success or no chance of getting any satisfaction from their sport. I mean, that's just unfair. The duty of any organisation is to create a competition where every, where all of the stakeholders have a meaningful involvement in it and have a meaningful chance of success or certainly of being able to compete. I mean these the level of victory that Dublin are, are putting on teams is just it's a it's it's just totally wrong 
fundamentally. Now, I have no solution to it, and I'm sure that there's plenty of committees that can go and look at these things, but they need to have a serious, serious look at what they're going to do about it because all that's happening is it's a, it's a, it just, it's a cycle that keeps rolling on. Are the teams in Leinster getting worse? Of course they're getting worse because I'm sure there are loads of players in, in all of these counties who are looking at it saying, well, I have, no, I have absolutely no chance of success, but maybe I'll give it a year or two. And they play for a year or two and then they're gone. We all know that it takes multiple years to develop, you know, that the right structure within a team, the right group within a team, and to build a squad. Like if you're trying to compete with Dublin, that takes years to build your depth talent within your squad to be able to compete with the depth talent Dublin have. And you look at players, top players from counties like Daniel Flynn, for example, from Clare, taking a year out and all of these things. And it's happened in Mead as well. Our top players maybe stepping away for a year or two. I mean, that, that kills the whole thing. Because yeah. we don't meet the other counties don't have the resources. I mean, Jack McCaffrey is almost a once-in-a-generation player um, and he steps away in Dublin win the All-Ireland. He's a once-in-a-generation player everywhere else, but not in Dublin. You know, that kind of way. So, it's, uh, look, it's it's desperately sad to see, like, from a personal perspective, from my own county, it was desperately sad to see such, such a, a, I suppose, a margin of defeat again when you consider that, like, that, that group of players have done the county proud with their efforts and their commitment and their hunger and their appetite and their application in so many games. And then you see them just going out with that against Dublin. And to be honest with you, nobody really wants to see that. Now, I, I, as I say, I don't have the answer to it. But, I mean, the attitude of, oh, it's up to everyone else to just get up to Dublin's level. Well, I'm sorry, but that needs support from central level. It can't just be left to counties themselves because... There's, I look at those Mead players, they could not be trying any harder. They could not be giving more of a time commitment to it. And that goes for multiple years of that particular group. So, yeah, you can say a team isn't good enough and that's fine. But that margin of defeat is not a team not being good enough. At club level, you could pick the worst team in the county against the top, uh, top club team and you would fight, you'd really struggle to get that margin of defeat. Yeah, no, exactly. Listen, we'll t- we might talk about that a little bit more on Thursday, but we're out of time now. The one thing I would say is that, like, I mean, if the if the if the structure of the championship has changed and the Leinster championship goes before a league style um, All Ireland, it won't be highlighted until Dublin start winning the league, you know, by huge huge amounts, and that could probably happen as well, you know, in the high profile championship matches. But anyways, lads, we'll leave it there. We'll be back on Thursday, like I said. We'll get some reaction from Cavan and from Tipperary, and we'll talk maybe a little bit more about this as well. So we'll talk to you all then. Good luck. I'm not finished yet. It took me a long time to get here. Both parents have, have spoken with each other and, uh, and they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. That these fellas will get such a shell shock next Saturday evening that we'll put them back in their houses for 10 years. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.